keep finding ways to hurt the team. <laughs> DFA. <Yeah>. DFA. DFA. <laughs> not actually. And I genuinely can't tell you if they're a good team or not. I really just can't. Um, they win a lot, but I don't know if they're good. Um... <laughs> Right past the beer aisle. Uh, I have, I do not imbibe, so I would say uh, just cocaine at the beginning of every. No, that's also <laughs> that's a joke. the worst idea. <laughs> and welcome to episode number two hundred twenty-one of Artificial Turf Wars, where we will be teeing up some of the off-season uh, moves that the Jays will be making because um, you know things are kind of just petering out here and nothing important is going on with the regular season schedule as per usual around here. Uh, I am of course Greg Wisniewski and I am joined by my um, hmm, didn't have an adjective ready to go uh, my excitable co-host Joshua House and Josh how's it going? <laughs> Oh, I'm very excitable. You got your, you got your, you got to be careful. You can't get me too much in this, too much stimulation in this episode. You, um, you got your free agent list there. Your top 50 free agents. Is that what we're going to start with? Or? <laughs> it's the, that's the important stuff of the day for sure. There's, there's something more pressing. Okay. Okay, fine. I will read your list of things that are supposedly more pressing. Uh, we will talk about, um the jays last week and how it affected the wild card standings um specifically we'll, we're going to focus in on that twin series that probably didn't go quite as well as we were hoping um and then we're going to talk about lourdes guriel's injury which might not be as serious as all that blood made it look um george springer finally turning back into that guy who you want at the top of the lineup hyunjin ryu is going to start against the yankees josh and i'll argue about that um as well as uh the other uh, oh, at, we got to talk about Teoscar Hernandez. Um, and then we're going to look forward to the last six games of this season. Um, the Baltimore series, the Yankees series. How is that going to line up? What's going to happen? Are we going to win the whole thing? Uh, and how does all the pitching line up if we do win something? And then we have an interview with Nick Stellini, who covers the New York Yankees um, in many capacities, which uh, I will go into when we actually talk to him in the interview. And then we have your questions, of course, because uh, things are burning on your mind just like they are on ours. So uh, we begin with the wild card standings. I will let you explain it, Josh, because I will likely say something backwards. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> as it sits, as we're recording this, the Mariners and the, and the A's have not started their game yet so the boston red sox are currently trailing the i'll do it in order the yankees are in first place now in the wild card standings following their sweep of the hapless red sox thanks so much boston <laughs> the red sox are currently second in the wild card a game ahead of the blue jays so it's the yankees are two ahead of the jays the red sox are one ahead of the jays and then seattle is currently one behind the blue jays so it's four teams each separated by a game, Yankees, Red Sox, Jays, Mariners. Um, so there, we, we, the, the Tampa series prior to this, you and I decided it was a series in Tampa. They, they, they won a game. That's what happens. It's the trop. They can't score runs. Oh, well. But winning, winning one out of three in Tropicana Field is, was fun. always the expectation. Yeah. Not the hope. The expectation. Uh, but then the Jays went to Minnesota, where historically they have played well for a four-gamer. And those first two games did not happen the way anybody in, in our camp here wanted them to happen. 
No, no, they they really did. Especially so the first one was kind of the I don't know the table setter for, for the disappointment to come. Steven Matt started the game, and he just his pitch count went crazy through eighty pitches across three innings. He only gave up two runs in those three innings, and you know, like when they when he left the game, the Jays were technically tied two two. But the long relief part of this bullpen has just not gotten the job done. So Thomas Hatch came in, and he did okay. And then he had to leave with an injury, which meant Julian Merrill that came in, who immediately served up a three-run homer to the first batter he faced. And then that just put the game out of reach for an offense that didn't hit Pineda. And then the next day, they didn't hit Ober. Uh, we'll get back to Merriweather in a bit, I'll, I'll, sort of when we discuss what's going to come going forward, But because there's a question about this. But the, the, it was more the lack of offense combined with the inability to keep the team close that just – it was really just a disgusting game to watch as a fan because it was just – it was hopeless. Yeah, the instantaneousness of a three-run bomb and, and you know six or seven runs by the Twins uh, and watching, you know – the Jays just not put together rallies. And, and although Bo Bichette has still had his hits, you know, it, it, he was not making any adjustments at all, just swinging like a madman and the Twins giving him nothing. Um, you know, these these kind of things snowball. And the, the return of Santiago Espinal in the series d- d- did not, you know, ease every, every pain. Like, it, you need the guys who are there to be a little bit more consistent at this juncture in the season. It just didn't happen for the first two games, and now those are those are gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, they just had some batted ball luck, bad luck in the second one, but it wasn't enough to justify what happened. It's basically a three-batter stretch or four-batter four stretch where they had three like balls that were expected batting averages over 600 that were all outs, but they still only scored one on a home run by Marcus Semien, who again, we'll get to in a bit, but they just didn't get it done. get the job done. I mean, in that game, it was a three run Homer. I believe it was, Oh no. So when it was a RBI triple and then a home, a two run Homer from Buxton. And that was it. Like that was the only scoring that the twins did in the game, three runs in three batters in the, I think it was the third inning. And the Jays just could not mount any offense against, you know, the, the starting staff for the twins is not very good, especially when you're not facing Ryan, Joe Ryan and the Jays just couldn't muster anything against those first two pitchers. And the back end of the twins bullpen, as bad as their bullpen has been on the season is pitching way better right now. And it just shut the Jays down. Um, so fortunately they shook themselves out of their stupor. And I'm sure if you were a superstitious person, you would say that that had everything to do with George Springer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been no secret that George Springer has been awful. I mean, it's hard to say it, but he's been awful since coming back from the latest of the injuries. Prior to those two home runs, his his slugging percentage, I think, was in the 200s. I don't have the specific data up in front of me, but he just really... They were, I mean, there were calls for him to sit down, calls for him to, to go down in the lineup. And Charlie Montoyo... It's basically said, it's like, these guys are comfortable where they are. I don't want to change anything. Now, you can debate whether that's the right strategy or not, but 
he turned it around. He had a home run in the third game that put the game a little more out of reach. And then he had another one in the fourth game. And if he gets going, that's going to be huge. Now I, I saw on Twitter and I don't know if it was verified, but that he had removed the leg brace. Well, he's also playing center field again. Um, yep. Which is huge, right? If he's, if he feels healthy enough to play center field, he probably has his legs underneath him at the plate in, in a much more consistent way. Yeah, that was, and that was always the thing, this idea that if he's getting healthier, the offense should come. Now, the argument could be made that he was so bad that he should have been playing when it wasn't. His OPS was 488 in the since coming back before yeah. those two, two home runs. That's a lot of free outs for the opposing team. It sure is. And his approach kind of disappeared. He was, he was chasing a lot more. I think he was just sort of feeling the... It, it, the pressure to perform. You freaked out. Was like, you freaked out on Twitter at one of uh, Springer, Springer's at bats, uh, and, then, and then it turned out in the post game he literally called that his worst at bat ever and not a professional at bat. At least he agreed. <laughs> it wasn't just me being an irrational, crazy fan. I am that, but it wasn't in that scenario. But if he's back, if he, if, I mean, we've seen how much George Springer can carry this offense when he's a power threat at the top of it. So that could be huge in this upcoming three with New York and three with Baltimore. And a 900 OPS hitter is a 900 OPS hitter. It doesn't matter what, what shape he takes or where he bats in the lineup. He is a dangerous, dangerous man when he's up there. Um, now, in, in the midst of that twin series, there, there was... You were talking about the pitching injuries. We had a Lourdes Gurriel injury just just thrown in the mix, courtesy, literally courtesy of Randall Grichuk and not knowing where he's putting his feet. Just keep finding ways to hurt the team. <laughs> DFA. <Yeah>. DFA. DFA. <laughs> not actually, but... No, no, we're not DFA. No, Greg, Greg, Greg's just joking around. It's just There will people who we have to say that because there are people who assume you're being serious. But, I mean, Grichik has been not a very good player this year. I mean, he's got a 714 OPS with a 285 on base. He's had value because the Jays had no center fielder for a while and he he held down the fort defensively but oh man like Lourdes was the hottest hitter on the team by far which is hard which is impressive considering how hot another guy we're going to talk about has been so that injury hurt in more ways than one yeah it uh the, anytime a guy leaves with his hand wrapped in a towel that's brutal he spiked Guriel's hand coming down like over top of Guriel, I guess. But he's like, Guriel ducked in front of him, put his hand on the ground to brace himself. And then, then Gritchie just steps on it and spiked him. Yes. Thankfully, I, they did x-rays and there was no there were no breaks. It was literally he just needed stitches. And he should be able to play in the Yankee series. Which would be fantastic. I hope he did not lose his groove. Um, here's the funny thing. You said another guy we're going to talk about. Uh, who is who is you know Lourdes was hitting better than and I two guys popped into my head that's how many great hitters there are on this team yeah well just before we move on quickly one interesting thing about this if Lourdes Gurriel can return he's not going to play the field because he can't throw really the G's outfield defense just got upgraded Shh, don't don't talk about that too much <laughs> Because I think Dickerson's a better outfielder than than Guriel. Wow. Yeah. I probably he can't throw like Guriel can. I mean, Dickerson has not a great arm, but he can track a ball better than than than, than Guriel. And saving outs in the outfield might be 
Like every run is going to be so big from here to the end. So any upgrades you can make, I think it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you don't have to make great throws if you catch the ball. <clears throat> uh, okay, so which guy were you talking about? Were you talking about Marcus Semien or Teoscar Hernandez when you said? <laughs> <laughs> I meant Teoscar, but as you said, it could have been either of them. Marcus, okay, we, then we will briefly touch on Marcus Semien and just I will congratulate him along with everyone else of, of hitting as many home runs as any other second baseman in Major League history in a single season. Yeah, 43 bombs. Well, and Semyon, I, I tweeted this out. So he's doing everything. He's dragging the Blue trying to drag the Blue Jays into the postseason. Their one run in that second game against the Twins was a Semyon homer. It was his home run that gave them the lead in the, in the third game that they ended up winning. He's just he's just been so, so good. But you and actually meant Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> I, I did. So he, by OPS in September... Guriel is first at 1192. Teoscar is second at 1111. And Semyon is third at 1019. He's actually behind Danny Jansen, but Danny Jansen doesn't have nearly as many plate appearances. How is this team five and five in their last 10? And Vlad is 992. It's, you know, they, they, that raise thing, man, they, they just took all the mojo away from the Jays. They were playing so well entering that series. And, I think the off day kind of cooled them a little bit. And then the Rays pitching staff pitches the Blue Jays differently than everyone else does. And I think that took them out of their approaches a little bit against the Twins. Took them a few games to get back into it. Hopefully these two wins that they put up with some little more offense in the last two in in both games will help lead towards something in this Yankees series. Because as as you said, like with those guys in your lineup, how are you not winning? Um, So the thing about the trap and I didn't realize it was this bad until someone broke it down. I believe it was since 2010 or 2011 that they stated it. The Blue Jays have not scored, uh, you know me, in nine runs. They have not scored nine runs or more at the drop in in a decade, basically, was the stat. Um, and that was that's 104 games in wow. the drop without scoring. They started double-digit runs, and they're like, well, actually, they haven't scored as many as nine runs. So you thought that Clark deflated offense for the Blue Jays? That's just that's like a, a a biblical commandment: "Thou shalt not hit here." And especially when you consider some of the offenses the Blue Jays have had over that time. Yep. And how often I, I like I know this because I it's a running joke for me, right? Um, I know how Actually, often they score nine, nine runs. runs. <laughs> it's it's not every one hundred and four games once. Ah, <sighs> okay, so. Uh, that was where we were. We are going to the Yankees series, and really, I think you and I, a, a, you know, you're 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 going to start Robbie Ray anytime you can start Robbie Ray. Um, you got you said this to me earlier. You go you got Jose Barrios to start him um, in important games to be that you know he's not your number one, but to be a consistent starter. But the question is, Shinjin Ryu. Coming back off the the disabled the injured list, God, I, one day, coming off the injured list <laughs> from his neck injury, um, and having sucked against just about everybody lately except for one start against these same New York Yankees, is this the right move? Maybe. <laughs> How's that for some quality wow. fence sitting? Wow. Yeah, I say no. I honestly <sighs> do not think this is the right move. 
Um, so the options here were Ryu or Mats because Manoa pitched the last game of the of the Twin Series, and this is the only two pictures they could throw. They're not going to throw Ross Stripling against the Yankees. That would be crazy. So this year against the Yankees, Hyunjin Ryu has thrown six or more innings in three of the four and five and a third in the other one. He's given up zero, three, zero, and two earned runs. In the, and he gave one unearned run in the, one of the zeros. He has done really well. I wonder if there's something with his way of pitching that works with the Yankees' approach to hitting. Like the way the Tampa approach to pitching the Jays works? Right. <clears throat> now, that's specifically the way that they, they, they attack as a roster as opposed to a pitch mix and an approach for one pitcher. But I think it could be the micro version of that where he uses the off speeds away and the cutters in and doesn't really let these guys get their, these big power hitters get their arms extended on fastballs. You look at some of these home runs that that Stanton hit in that Red Sox series. It's like 1,500 feet worth of home runs. They're all fastballs on the middle or away. Because if you throw the ball there and he gets it, he will destroy it. And the Jays don't, they basically pitch him in off the plate, in off the plate, in off the plate. And Ryu, with the way his balls move, can, when he's on, really do that. So I still think I trust him more than Mats in that spot. You know, despite how well Mats has been pitching his last start notwithstanding. I just wish they didn't have these two options. I wish it was Manoa that they could have had available for this one. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't think it's a, you know, a guaranteed mistake. I probably would have rather seen Matt's, but on the flip side, so here's the thing. He's had 10 days rest because like the injured list, he's effectively just skipped one start. So he is going to gain some velocity, almost guaranteed. We've seen this with Ryu as he's worn down an extra day or skipping a start. Almost always the start after that, he comes with two to three miles an hour uptick, which is a tremendous help to him with his changeup, it seems. That little bit of extra differentiation, that little bit less time for hitters helps him a lot. But he's also had some very weird control issues lately and does that extra skip turn, the full turn instead of the extra day, mean that he is not as precise when he gets uh, back out on the mound. And I think that could be a huge problem if he, he does leave fastballs out over the plate for these Yankees. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, well, definitely, I think his leash will be very short. And then the problem is his replacement is Ross Stripling, as you noted. Or it's Steven Matz. Ooh, that would be gutsy. But uh, I would be interested to see if Charlie Montoya would do that. Yeah, I also think that it's one thing if Ryu go, comes out in the second or third inning, but if he gets even four innings, I would be shocked if it's not leverage reliever, leverage reliever all the way through. You know, Richards can throw two. Simber can throw two. Uh, I, I would be very surprised if they did. Pearson can throw two. We shall we shall see if it matters, um, depending on what the score is by the time we get that to that point in the game. Maybe the Blue Jays will put up a six spot. <laughs> Um, okay, so I we're going to talk with Nick a little bit more about, about that Yankee series. What other things did you want to touch on from the Blue Jays' perspective in that series? Other than getting Lourdes back as a DH, um, it, it, are Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk being used the right way, I guess, was my, my only other question about the day-to-day lineup. So they've used too much Reese McGuire. 
I, I, why is Richie McGuire playing at all? I don't, I don't understand that. But it's crazy that he's played. He started games, and then there were, in that in that game that they lost three to one to the Twins, he led off the eighth, down three to one, which was. I, that was just horrible. I, yeah, I, I, I could tell how bad has... it was with the number of people who said, are pinch hitters not allowed anymore? Is that a new rule? When I was, uh, you know, watching my Twitter feed. <laughs> like, the, see, the thing is, the Jays bench is not very good. There's not a lot of offensive choices there. But they're, like, with the exception of Gerard Dyson, they're all better than Reese McGuire. So, yeah, I think if, if he plays a game in this series, something's wrong. I am fine with Kirk and Jansen. Jansen has been playing quite well in September, as I alluded to, sort of. His September line is 318 with a 375 on base and a 659 slugging. That's probably the best month he's had in two years. Probably. He, he, he does have these random great months. It's usually September, too, which is nice right now. Jansen will catch the first one because it's Ryu. And... Kirk will catch the third one because it's Ray. It'll be interesting to see how they do the second one. I'm guessing it'll be Kirk because of his ability to hit the velocity from Garrett Cole. And I'd be fine with that. Very cool. Um, we are not going to have a podcast before the Baltimore series. So we should talk something about the Baltimore series. Now, it's possible the Baltimore series will be a completely moot point, and I hate to acknowledge that, but the Jays absolutely have to win two out of three here against the Yankees and to really feel, I think, any level of, of to take a breath, they need to sweep them. Yep. Well, I mean, they're, they're down two. So if you win two out of three, you're still down one. Yes. And Boston is playing um, Baltimore, Baltimore while this happens. Yeah. And then Washington, who is a hundred or a, a last place team, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. The Jays really need to win these games. Yeah, but Washington's only got 92 only, got 92 losses. Considering the roster they started the season with, that's crazy. But the Jays, yeah, the Jays need to – they'll need to sweep. They need to plan to sweep Baltimore. If they go 4-2, and two, they probably miss the playoffs. And it's hard to expect to sweep the Yankees. As good as the Jays – as well as the Jays did – the last time they played, sweeping them in New York, I would be shocked if they swept them again. What uh, the Jays the, have not swept Baltimore this year, which is just wrong and weird, and par probably part of the hey, this is a thing we left on the table that we really shouldn't have left on the table. Um, they didn't even sweep them in a two gamer. Yeah. So, it's time to fix that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> A very uh, the Blue Jays season has been one very late force correction continuously for like a month and a half. Sure has. So, unfortunately for the Blue Jays, the the, the starters that are lined up for Baltimore are John Means, who is their only actually legitimately good starting pitcher. He's got a three three ERA on the season. He threw the no hitter that that was. Almost a perfect game for a wild pitch. He's he's legitimately very, very good. He will miss the Red Sox and face the Blue Jays. And then they get Keegan Aiken, who Jays fans might remember. No, hit them through six innings last time. But that worked out all right. So Worked out fine in the end. The time before that, he gave up one run through five. So maybe if they don't let him pitch the seventh inning. <laughs> yeah, that might work out. 
Yeah, and then the last one is Chris Ellis, who on the season has a 2-1-5 ERA. He's only made seven starts or six starts, but 2-1-5 is 2-1-5, and he has pitched against the Blue Jays, and he gave up one run through five and one run through four and two-thirds. So they need to fix that. They need to start hitting these guys who are – good enough or better than Orioles standard, but they're still not good enough to shut this Blue Jays team down as they have done. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to, uh, you need to just find a way. Um, and I do believe that between those four guys you listed with an OPS sitting around a thousand, um, for the month that there is a way to sweep the Orioles. That one, I believe in more than winning, almost more than winning two out of three versus the Yankees. I mean, Garrett Cole is tough. He didn't get less tough just because Robbie Ray turned out to be a better pitcher this season. Garrett Cole is tough. Uh, the thing with the with Garrett Cole, and this is one of the interesting things that we will have in this in this series, and we I will touch on this with Nick too. The the last so the first game in that series is the two guys coming off the injured list is Tyone and Ryu. It's a coin flip. I, I definitely like it's going to be a game that whoever plays better wins. The next one. It's Ryu and it's it's Cole and Barrios. It's not it's not like the Jays are throwing a questionable guy. I mean, and they've done some damage against Garrett Cole this year. So I'm not chalking it up as a this is they're going to lose this game. But Barrios will have to just really dominate. Um, you bring up his name and I see it here on the notes because there is the possibility as we discussed this, uh, you know, they go four and two or they go five and one. And they could still very much end up in a tie game for a tie situation for that wild card, forcing a game 163. So we should talk about who starts that game for the Blue Jays. Yeah. So because the Blue Jays are two games back of the Yankees, if they only win two of three, as we mentioned, they'll still be a game back. This would very much mimic last year where the Jays had to sweep Baltimore and the, and the Yankees had to lose two of three in order for the Jays to catch the Yankees. The Jays did not complete the sweep, <laughs> mm-hmm. but if that happens, if the J, if if they get almost that exact scenario, if the, if the Jays go five and one, and the Yankees go four and two the rest of the way, or three and three, sorry, then yeah. it would be Jose Barrios lined up against Garrett Cole in a rematch of this game <laughs> for Game One Sixty Three. And then we'd have some really strong opinions about exactly how that was going to go down, having had it just five days prior. Yeah, I think there'd be a lot of hot takes being thrown out there. Uh, but I think in that situ- situation, the starting pitcher is almost a moot point. Yes, because there's no, the bullpen is going to dive not, in at the, at the soonest sign of trouble. And there's no saving things. Like, it's like you, Jordan Romano, need three innings from you? Fine. <laughs> go go do it. There is and no then, tomorrow. <laughs> there is no tomorrow if you get a one game 63. So... <laughs> That, that'll be interesting. And then Robbie Ray's lined up for the wildcard game. But what's interesting is that means that Ryu and Mats, along with Manoa, are lined up for that Orioles series. And both of them have had their troubles with the Orioles this year. Do you want to give me some good news before we go to the uh, interview? But the good news is they're the Orioles. Yes. <laughs> so. And they you, are. I mean, if you're can't. How many how many games are they out of first? The Orioles. I am curious. Forty six, I think, was the last standing. Forty seven. Which is the Orioles have won fifty games <laughs> and are forty seven games out of first. Yeah, 
There's got to be three wins in there somewhere, guys. Somewhere. <laughs> I would not be surprised if the Orioles ended the season more games back at first than they have wins on the season since they're finishing up with Boston and Toronto. All right. Okay. So do you know that old adage? You win a third, you lose a third. Is what you do with the middle third. The Orioles didn't, didn't win, win any of them. They didn't, didn't win their third. Sorry. Didn't happen. <laughs> they lost all of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, I'm prepared to go to the interview. We're going to talk to Nick Stellini after we uh, come back from a short break. And Artificial Turf Wars is pleased to welcome to the program Nick Stellini. You might know him from um, NBC Sports, you might know him from The Athletic, you might know him from Fangraphs. He has a secret project he's not going to tell us about, but he is here willing to talk about this big, big Yankees Blue Jays series. Welcome to the program, Nick. Thanks for having me on, guys. A pleasure. A pleasure. Um, before we talk about the very, very near future, because we are recording this, um, you know, as the Blue Jays uh, get underway, um, let's talk about the recent past for the Yankees. The, the final series of the season against the Red Sox. How, how did things break down for the Yankees, um, and was it enough? So the series with the Red Sox was kind of crazy. Um, you know, you had a typical thing where, you know, Garrett Cole goes out there and, like, dominates. Um, but the other, like, there were just so many inexplicable brain farts from both teams um, like yesterday on Sunday Night Baseball, Aaron Boone just got out, completely outmanaged by Alex Cora and it did not matter. Um, it, it, it's, it, it was crazy to watch. It's probably the most fun I've had watching the Yankees really all, all year um, because they've been such a weird-ass team. Um, we're, we're, nothing makes sense. You think they're good, and then they run off when they lose like 10 out of 15, and you think they're just the worst team in the world. Um, it looks like there's they go through six, like just like forget how to play baseball. They just drop things and, and throw to the wrong base and that kind of stuff. Um, up and down, and, and you know, they're 89 wins now, and I genuinely can't tell you if they're a good team or not. I really just can't. Um, they win a lot, but I don't know if they're good. Um, <laughs> that's, but, that's, so, that, that's probably going to be right at the front of the podcast when I pick a quote. <laughs> they they win a lot, but I don't know if they're good. Do they? Do you think they think they're good? So I mean, like every time they lose in embarrassing fashion, Aaron Boone will go out and say, "Oh, you know, we, we just got to play better. We know we're a good team." Like I think, I think the phrase "we know we're a good team" has been uttered probably, but there's six games left, so that would be 156 games they've played, right? Is, am I doing that correctly? So Good math. I, I think he's probably said we know we're a good team at least 156 times so far this season. Um, yeah, it just... Like, they have good players. Like, Aaron Judge is one of the top five players in the American League. John Carlos Stanton's had an amazing year. Uh, Garrett Cole is either, either going to finish first or second in the Cy Young race. Um, they've managed to scrapped together a pretty good bullpen out of pretty much the ether because like a third of the guys they started the season with even more than that just went down on the DL. Um, and they managed to, you know, rob the pirates of another good player. The pirates didn't know they had, they picked up Wandy Peralta for a song and he's been like their fireman now. Um, things are weird, but, and then the, you know, but then they have like other really good players like DJ LeMahieu was an all-star last year, won the batting title 
was money for his first two seasons in pinstripes. And he's got like a 714 OPS this year. He's just like, he's been like, he's still kind of hitting for average, but not nearly as much. And the power is completely gone. Um, it's it, like Labor Torres just was not a good baseball player for two thirds of the season. And then they took him up for shortstop finally. And now he's hitting again. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you about this team, other than that they have really good players who sometimes play very well, and then sometimes they look like, you know, the Bad News Bears. Oh, sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> We're talking about the Blue Jays here, where sometimes teams will just, the team will just disappear offensively for a month and a half. But <laughs> let's, I think, well, let's take this to the series now. And, and you know, they say the momentum is the next day starting pitcher. How do you feel about the way the pitching lines up in this series? I think it's Tyone Ryu, Cole Barrios, and Kluber Ray. And Ray. Yeah. Um, so those are three very good pitching matchups. I mean, so obviously the the the, the back two games are you know marquee matchups. Um, Tyler versus Ryu is very interesting. They're both guys who have had very up and down seasons. Um, as somebody with Hyunjin Ryu on my fantasy team, like I, I was intimately <laughs> aware of the ups and downs of Hyunjin Ryu. Um, and Tyler, you know, this is first season coming back from Tommy John and some other nonsense that happened with him. Um, he he was rusty starting the year, which you would expect. I mean, especially with Tommy John, can, command is the last thing that comes back usually when you get Tommy John surgery. Um, and right before he went on the DL, he had about like a solid month and a half where he was the best pitcher in the American League. It was it was ridiculous. Um, and then he had two big clunkers, and then he went on the DL with a torn ligament in his ankle, which is supposedly healed now, and he's coming back to pitch tomorrow. Um, so it really depends on which Jameson Tyone shows up. Like he's a talented pitcher. His, his stuff is ridiculous. It's just a matter of command and control sometimes. Um, I, I like Tyone. I really do. I think it was a really great trade by the Yankees. Um, if he pitches like the guy he was before you got hurt, then you got really strong rotation. Um, and that's an asset for you in the playoffs. So, I mean, and this for all intents and purposes is playoff baseball right now. This, this is the playoffs. Um, this weekend series, the Red Sox, this series with the Jays and then the upcoming series with the Rays at the end of the year. Um, not that the Rays can get knocked off, but they'll be fighting for their lives just to have to, you know, keep winning games because both Toronto and Boston really have a cupcake schedule. Um, these last nine games outside of the Yankees. So, um, if Tyon is, is, is the guy he was where he got hurt, then he's going to have a, it's going to be a great thing for the Yankees. And so tomorrow's will be very interesting. Um, you referenced the Tyon coming back off of, of the disabled list. Sorry, injured list. Uh, the, the injured list. Um, often teams, you know, in the middle of a season are, are, you know, weak in one area and strong in another. Uh, is there anybody who's not on the roster right now who a Blue Jays plan should be thank, a fan should be thanking their lucky stars about? Or is there anyone who's just come back and, and is on a tear um, other than Tyon? So the answer is there's both both of those things exist right now. Um, Jonathan Malizica was arguably the best reliever the Yankees had all year. Um, and he has been on the IL for, I think, a couple weeks now. I'm not sure. The time is a, a blur. Um, and he was he was just ridiculous, nasty all year. Um, real, real asset. The, the genuine relief ace you want to have. Um, so he's down right now. Um, but the bullpen has not exactly missed a beat. I mean, Luis Severino is finally back after two and a half years, it's been, or something like that. Um, Severino is back pitching out of the bullpen, and he's been nasty. Um, he was a big part of the Boston series. Um, also, Michael King, who has been kind of an up-and-down guy, he's starting pitching prospect, he's had some decent games in the rotation. Um, he's been coming out of the bullpen recently, and he's all of a sudden throwing 97 with movement. Um, and he's been a bulldog. If he, if he can 
really become consistent. That's that's a ridiculous asset to have. Um, it, it, basically, Jonathan Lewis got re- reincarnated in the form of Michael King. Um, so that would be big. Um, but like I referenced earlier, like the Yankees got Clay Holmes in the trade from the Pir- from the Pirates, the trade deadline. It was you know, who the heck is Clay Holmes? Well, apparently the Pirates didn't realize they had this guy who was one of the maybe top fifteen reliever in baseball. They just didn't realize he was good. Um, he came to the Yankees. They changed something, and he immediately has just been nasty. Um, other than that, I mean, like Zach Britton's hurt too, so that's another bullpen asset that's not there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like so. They have a couple of key injuries, but they've had guys step up and come off the IL and be really good. So I would I would say roster wise, they're in pretty good shape right now. Yeah, and I think apparently Loisaga might be back either for the first game of the series or Wednesday, based on what I'm reading. Yeah, I mean, like they were saying he's not done for the year. Um, they were taking it slow with him, you know, having him throw side sessions, that kind of stuff. Um, if, if he can come back, that'd be a huge. I don't I don't even know who they would cut. Um, it might even be Andrew Heaney, who they got at the deadline. It's a total dud. Um, one of those guys that thought they could fix, and they just were not able to. Um, so I, if Loisga comes back, maybe he needs the odd guy out, which is you know a value lost, frankly. Um, lost yeah, if Loisga is back, <laughs> yeah, if back and, and healthy, then this might be the best bullpen in the American League. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, so the latest quote from Aaron Boone says that they're considering Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe just to give him an extra day of recovery, but it sounds like he's coming back in the series. Well, Um, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah, so do you think um, a team coming in hot, the Blue Jays won their last two against Minnesota, um, the, uh, the big win to end the series in Boston, do you think you know, one of the teams is going to be able to, be able to ride this wave, or do you think the um, the fact that the Rogers Center, you know, is going to have thirty thousand actual Blue Jays fans in it for the first time this season is is going to be a factor? Like, do you think any of that plays into this series? Uh, well, I mean, having the Rogers Center full for the first time all year is going to be a huge factor. Uh, I mean, these guys have been playing away from home without much of a crowd for you know year and a half and change. I mean, yeah, they've been playing back in Toronto, but this is, you know, do or die baseball. It's going to be packed to the gills. There's going to be people on the fifth level screaming, um, which is no small thing. I mean, like it's, it's a, it's a enclosed dome usually. Um, so the, the, the sound will marinate in there. And, and listen, I mean, some of the most tense playoff chase baseball I can remember is back in 2015 when the, when the Jays were, you know, ridiculous. Um, and, the games when they went up to bought to get went up to Toronto to try and knock off Donaldson and, and, and Batista and Encarnacion and all those goes, those guys, that was nuts. It was some of the most high intensity baseball I've ever watched. Um, and this is what that's going to be like. This is going to be, you know, two heavyweights going at it in front of a screaming crowd. Um, and I know Jays fans are going to be relishing the chance to finally have a chance to scream their heads off for playoff baseball. Cause this, again, let's just play off baseball. Um, they're going to be relish that chance to do that for the first time in forever. Um, and that that'll be a big asset for the Jays, frankly. I mean, I, I do think the crowd matters in baseball. Um, it, it matters a lot, I think. It, it, yeah, it's be the first time they've been able to have thirty thousand fans since, I guess, the last game of twenty nineteen, which probably didn't have thirty thousand fans. So <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting one for sure. So I, I guess the question for you. We'll move off the series in a second for some other more generic Yankees thoughts or American League East thoughts, but. <clears throat> So what what is your feeling going into the series about what the Yankees need to do to, in order to be okay going into that final weekend? How many like how well do they have to do in this series? So that's a loaded question, right? I mean, um, I know 
Boston. I, who do the Jays play after this? I, I know either Baltimore. Boston. Baltimore. Okay, so it, it's you guys playing Baltimore. Um, so you guys go to play Baltimore after this. I think the Red Sox have the Rangers. I don't want to say they, 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 they finish Baltimore with more, and then the Nationals. Nationals. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I I, I knew there was, the Rangers were in there somewhere. Um, but yeah. So it, it's it's very much soft schedules for both teams outside in these last nine this last this chunk of last of the last nine games it's very soft schedule for not the yankees the yankees have had three have three heavyweights to contend with um so you've got obviously these three games for you in toronto and then they go to tampa for three um and i mean the, the race they have the division it's in hand um but you know they're going to want to knock the Yankees out of the playoffs. They're, they're, they're not going to maybe, maybe they'll rest some guys, but they'll still be playing hard. Um, so, I mean, do the Yankees have to sweep? I don't know if they have to sweep, but then they also have to like pray that, you know, Baltimore and the Nats can take care of business with the Red Sox and the Jays. Um, and that's not necessarily something you want to bank on. You know what I mean? Um, so do they have to sweep? No, they I mean, they need to win two out of three. That's for sure. Um, but uh, a sweep would be awfully nice. And going into the Rogers Center and sweeping for this kind of environment is very hard to do. Um, I mean, yeah, they just swept Boston in Boston, which, but that's, you know, that's a rare thing. That doesn't happen. It's the first time they did that since 2015, I think. Um, so they, they, they basically the Yankees didn't need to try to win out and any, any loss was like a serious deal. Um, it's not like they have, they can rest on their laurels here. Um, and, so just to zoom out a little bit, uh, the Blue Jays have, you know, we, our fans who watch listen to this podcast are familiar with exactly how the Blue Jays have left all of those wins on the table that you know they should have had. Um, you alluded this to, to this at the beginning of the uh, the interview that the Yankees have also left wins on the table in various sundry ways. But what is what is a typical Yankees loss? How how have they because they were expected to contend for the division and and here they are fighting over that the, those wild card spots. Where have they been leaving those wins on the table that someone would say, oh, well, that's that's just how the Yankees do things this year? So it, it really depends on the loss. There, there, there's a few different garden varieties of, of Yankees losses, bad Yankees losses this year. Um, but they don't get blown out very often. Like, I mean, every team gets blown out sometimes, but the Yankees don't get blown out very often. It's just one of those things where, like, okay, so there's days where, I mean, every team has days where the bullpen implodes. That's going to happen in baseball. The Yankees have hit the most double plays in baseball, I'm pretty sure. Um, it, they have they average at like these one and a half a game. It's bad. It's really bad. They hit into a lot of double plays. Now, you're going to hit into a lot of double plays when you lead the league in OBP, which I'm pretty sure they do. But, yeah, they, 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 they hit into a lot of double plays. There are games where the starting pitching is amazing, but they lose by one or two because the offense can't get it together. There are games where the defense just completely melts down, forgets how to play baseball. And that's going to happen a lot less often now that Glaber Torres isn't playing shortstop. Um, no, no offense to Glaber, but he just was not a good shortstop. The man can't play the position, um, and he he really wanted to, and really tried to, but he just he couldn't cut it there. Um, that's going to happen less often with Glaber at second base. Um, I mean, you can talk about the elephant in the room with Gary Sanchez. I don't think Gary Sanchez is as bad as everybody thinks that he is. Um, he has. Very bad moments sometimes. I'm sure you all saw the play where he just like didn't tag, get, get in front of the plate and tag the, the runner. With the Tagging series. is hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody saw that. That was bad. Um, but I, I don't think Gary is like cataclysmic behind the plate. I really don't. 
he has his moments where you roll your eyes and say, "Oh God, here we go again." Um, but I think you, I think it's possible to be a good team with Gary Sanchez behind the plate. But there are games where, like, you're like, "Oh God, why did he do that?" Um, there's also games, frankly, where Aaron Boone's bullpen management, and I, I don't know how much of this is him. I don't know how much of it is the analytics department and Cashman dictating to him. You know, this is the sequence of events. Um, there are times where he makes changes or doesn't do things or does things that leave you scratching your head. And as a team that as fans of a team managed by Charlie Montoyo, I'm sure you can sympathize with that. Um, but there, there, there frankly have been games where Boone lost the game for the team. Um, and, you know, there are, there are also games where the offense comes through and then the, the bullpen can't hold the lead. There's, I mean, these all sound like garden variety things that happen to every baseball team, but it's it's madness inducing sometimes. Like like, like I said, I, this team has won eighty nine games. I don't know if they're good. Um, there's a lot of really good players on this roster, but it's it's really weird, man. It's really weird. And then there's also like months and month stretches where Chapman like just like cannot find the strike zone and throws ninety miles an hour, and it's like terrifying. And you think his arm's about to fall off, and then he puts back together. Um, so that that happens sometimes too. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange, strange team. <laughs> Sixty nine different ways to lose a baseball game by the Yankees. It's a new book we're having, yeah. we're putting out. Um, so I'm going to zoom way out because this is something that bugs as bugged Blue Jays fans. I know for a long time, um, depending on how good the Blue Jays were, but essentially the way the Blue Jays have a young core set up, it looks like this team is probably going to be good for three to four years, and it seems like it's going to be four teams and the Orioles jammed up in a division trying to beat one another over the head uh over and over again while someone in the al central gets to a cakewalk into a division uh win and and to the playoffs does it make any sense to think about balancing the schedule in in the new cba to a yankees fan what do you mean by balancing the schedule i mean Not more like games 19 games <laughs> across more uh, across more divisions. You 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 don't play your division mates. You get more of the weaker teams. So if it means fifteen games against everybody at the ideal, um, you would keep the division you know structure, but you would not be playing in your own backyard all the time. That's an interesting idea. Um, I, I do think that there is something to be said for winning your division and definitively beating the other teams that do it. Um, I don't know if it should be nineteen games. That's a lot, but. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, I think that so this is when you get into things with like um, fans of teams who missed out on the wild card because like let, let's talk about like let's say that there's a theoretical universe where I mean let me look at the standings because this has happened in the past too. Um this will be the uh, most. Is a good fourth, this is already Let's determined to be. Mariners. The, okay, <laughs> the Mariners are a whole other uh, enigma. <laughs> no, but this is this is a, thing, a point I'm going to try and make here. Um, as of as of this very second, Seattle is 86 and 70. Houston is 91 and 65. That's not a huge gap. It's a gap, but it's not a huge gap. Um, it's five games. Um, you can make an argument the Mariners are a fairly decent baseball team, that they've had this good surge lately where they've shown up, they've shown they can win games. Um, I think they're one game away from being totally mathematically eliminated from everything. Um, if, I, if I'm 
believing – I'm not sure if I saw that on Twitter somewhere, but they're close to being eliminated basically. They're in the running for the wild card, but it's probably not going to happen. They would have to basically win out, and then the Yankees and the the Red, the Red Sox and the, 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 the Jays basically cannibalize each other for, for Seattle to get in. Um, so there could be fans of Seattle saying that they're salty, that, oh – why are all the wins consolidated in the East when we're, we have a shot, we deserve to get in. And my argument for that is no, win your division. Um, if you truly believe you are a good baseball team, go out and win your division. Um, and even if that, that occurs in a division like the 2021 AL East, where you have the, 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 the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox and the Jays. Um, if you want to go to the postseason, beat the other teams in your division. I mean, that, that, that's, I think that winning should be rewarded. That That's my take. Fair enough. Yeah, it's totally fair. There, again, there are a bunch of perspectives on this from, and I, and I think how often your team has won in its division is, is a, informs that opinion a lot. So the Blue Jays have been on the wrong end of that equation too many times uh, for us to be unbiased. So that's why I wanted to ask you. Uh, that I think covers everything we wanted to cover. So I really do appreciate you coming on, Nick. Um, people can find you on Twitter at Stellini Tweets. Uh, people can find you doing some new, uh, almost super secret project. But in the meantime, you can go look up Nick's work uh, at the Athletic, Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, and NBC Sports if you uh, want to look in his back catalog, so to speak. Uh, thanks for coming by. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. And we are back. And uh, yeah, I think Nick gave a whole bunch of opinions. I, you know, with how contentious the balance schedule issue is as a, you know, a team on the losing end of things like the Blue Jays or the, when we talk to the bird's eye view guys for Baltimore uh, and how just sort of blown away by that concept Nick was, I have a feeling it's kind of a niche thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, well, one day. Uh, okay, so given that uh, we talked to him and asked him a bunch of questions, now we'll let you ask us a bunch of questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? This is where you ask okay. the first question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting there. So the first question comes in from Mark Spurley at Trillium Opania. Says, quote, suppose I, a total non-athlete, spent a full season in the majors, playing every day, DHing and batting ninth, and never swinging the bat once. How often would I get on base simply because a pitcher couldn't find the strike zone or would hit me? Uh, my answer is going to be not a lot. And I, I only concluded this by taking a look at, um, at some actual statistics, which is a thing I'm, I'm, I rarely do around here, but you know, I still am familiar with the Fangraphs address. I took all of the pitchers. I arbitrarily picked 40 plate appearances this season. And I said, what is the walk percentage for, for these pitchers for the worst of the worst of these pitchers and including Max Scherzer, which is, you know, a, a running, uh, kind of joke, including Max Scherzer, there are currently 10 pitchers with more than 40 plate appearances who have no walks at all. So it is it is very possible that you combine those 10 guys for approximately 500 plate appearances with no walks there. So assuming they have no hitting skill and are just like you, 
unless you're very, very short, <laughs> there's a distinct possibility you would spend all season at home plate. You definitely reach base sometimes. Now, these guys that have no walks, like Max Scherzer, who has not reached base at all, which I think he's, he's set the record for, if he doesn't reach base, for the most plate appearances without reaching base in a season. Uh, you would, if you, you see these guys swing sometimes and get themselves out. True. For example, like Max Scherzer has not struck out in every single at bat. He just struck out in most of them. Forty-four percent, point isn't most. That's true. It's not most. It's actually lower than I thought. But you would walk some, and we've seen pitchers that go out there just throw no pitches close. You'd probably have an on-base percentage of somewhere in like the zero fifty range. Is my guess zero thirty to zero fifty. I think it would probably be on the lower end of 0.30, especially since your reputation for not not swinging the bat would grow over time, I presume. Um, That's true. Making it more difficult for you to hide the fact that you were a completely uh, normal person who had no athletic skill. The next question comes from Prairie Jays at Jays Prairie. Uh, beer of choice for this week of stress. Josh. Hard liquor. <laughs> <laughs> We've walked Here's past... Right past the beer aisle. Uh, I have, I do not imbibe, so I would say uh, just cocaine at the beginning of every... No, that's also <laughs> That's joke. the worst idea. <laughs> oh, man. I just had to use cocaine in some reference somewhere. Uh, the next question is, is a paired-up question because Kevin at Kevin Chase, who has, I believe, is that Kevin Biggio's or is Boba Shett's logo that he is... So artfully chosen for his profile picture. I think it was Bichette. Yeah, Bichette. Um, very nice. Very, very nice indeed. Um, he asks how much of Kevin Biggio will we see through the remaining through the remaining schedule and potentially into the postseason, which we will pair up with Smiley Face Picnic at Smiley Face Picnic. Does Kevin Biggio make it all the way through arbitration with the Blue Jays? I think these questions have two very different answers, but I will let you tell me, Josh. I have no idea what they're going to do with Biggio. I would have thought that given the lack of left-handed options on this team, that they would call Biggio up for the Yankee series. The problem is that in the minors, in his rehab, he's hitting 182 with a 289 base, 289 on base and a 325 slugging. That's a 614 OPS in Buffalo. I don't think you can put that on the roster. And it's also the I, I, failure to do the one thing that Biggio does well, which is get on base via the walk. Yep. So I, I just, I don't think that he can be added at this point. I think he has to stay down. I would, I mean, I would honestly see them be rather see them add someone like Gregory Polanco or Josh Palacios, probably Palacios. He's on the 40 man. Just have another lefty up the bench who can hit a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. As for making it through all the way through arbitration, I would bet against that with most guys who aren't superstars. Oh, he means all all the years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I, I don't I don't think he does either. So I, think I don't think they're ready to arbitration. I don't yeah. think they're gonna cut him. <clears throat> no. I don't I don't I think he's getting tendered contract for sure. Yeah. Um <clears throat> uh, Sean Addis, uh he him at Sean underscore Addis asks Beyond the core four relievers, who would be your next trusted reliever? Not Julian Merriweather, who we neglected to have a discussion about. <laughs> this is where I was going to talk about it. Do you want to go first? Uh, 
Would I trust Thomas Hatch if I were in a burning building? He's be your next option? Woof. No, I... Is Ross Stripling going to technically be a reliever by the time this question is relevant? <laughs> He's already a reliever. He's been a reliever since he came back. Uh, Ross Stripling is my, my next trusted guy. For me, it's Nate Pearson, and it's not close. <laughs> I don't want a guy throwing 93 miles an hour with not swinging and miss breaking balls in the, in the postseason or in pressure. <clears throat> and I'm, you know, it doesn't sound like Julian Merriweather, and it's not, but he has been terrible. Since coming back, I don't know what's going on. The fastball, oh, he, he, I mean, his his stuff is reduced. I think he was a spider attack guy because the spin rate in his pitches is all down. But he's not, he's got one strikeout since coming back. And he's given up three home runs with three walks. So I, I just wouldn't trust him in leverage. To me, he's a guy you can't use unless you have, absolutely have to. But to me, it's Pearson, who has been really good aside from that one terrible outing so i think it's him darius eshrag at deshrag it's very clever it's eshra is this okay deshra i apologize i, I read the uh, tw i read the handle a funny way is it okay to publicly shame on twitter diehard jays fans who gave up on this team after three straight losses last week you know who you are gary well gary if you're listening i think I accidentally <laughs> shamed you. Um, I have no I would idea have, who Gary is. <laughs> I would have to say that if you consider yourself a diehard Jays fan and you gave up on the team after those three losses specifically, you may need your, to re-examine your definition of the term diehard as it applies to you. I have the opposite opinion. The diehard Jays fans are the ones who react the most outsized because they care so much about every individual game. I bet if you ask those same people the next day before the twins game, if they actually thought it was over, most of them would probably say, no, I was just really upset about the loss. Well, Gary, what, which was it? <laughs> <laughs> Gary's Gary's still out here. We don't know who that is. Uh, Matt Thomas at Thomas Matt C <laughs> says, will you enjoy the week or will you get stressed hanging on every pitch? Uh, so answer that first. Are those two things mutually exclusive? No, they're not. I remember enjoying the postseason, even though I was stressed and hanging on every pitch. I liked the idea that things mattered. There is a good kind of stress, a stress that people seek out. And although I don't seek nearly as much of it as most people, sports fans get that high from that stress. It has to be tough for it to feel good. Uh, Josh, are you attending to get all the games this week? And lastly, is 30,000 going to be a difference maker? We heard what Nick Stellini thought. What do you think? So I'll answer the first part. I wish <laughs> <laughs> life is life gets in the way. I'll be going to half of them though. The, as for 30, I think it makes some difference, even if it's just influencing umpires. I'm looking forward to it, though. I love when that stadium is loud. It sounds so good. Yeah. I mean, that 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 environment with fans who have something to cheer for, I do think it's one of the best in baseball. You know, regardless of how the facility itself is viewed, the atmosphere in the facility when things are, are popping is, is quite the thing. I 100% agree with that. And that concludes the questions I have on the list for this week. Can you believe it? 
I can because I'm looking at it too. Oh, good. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is usually where Josh is like, no, I have another question. Tick, tick, tick. Um, we have filled a podcast. Uh, we have no special awards to hang out because uh, we have to wait for the real award season to start uh, is my excuse this week. So that said, I present to you an opportunity to give me the final thought of the podcast. So I'm not going to talk about the Blue Jays here because there's no thoughts left about this. They just need to win games. <laughs> I'm loving that the Dodgers have 100 wins and might lose in a wild card game. I love it. I hate the Dodgers. I don't know why I hate the Dodgers, but I hate the Dodgers. <laughs> and so I really hope that they – I don't like the Cardinals either, but I'd love to see the 100-win Dodgers lose to the maybe 90-win the Cardinals while the 102 randomly win Giants <laughs> roll into the division series. I am not sure whether I like or hate the fact that baseball rarely makes sense despite the 162-game season supposed to in ensure that at least starts to make sense. So this is my view of this is if the Jays have to deal with this crap where they're going to win probably 90 or more games and might finish fourth in the division, I can at least enjoy the schadenfreude of the 100-win Dodgers not winning the division. Fair enough. I do not hate the Dodgers nearly as much as I hate the Cardinals. So I'm on the opposite side of that fence. Um, well, I don't I want the Cardinals to do anything in the postseason beyond that. I just think it'd be really <laughs> funny if the Dodgers don't. They're the defending world champion, people picking them guaranteed to go back to the World Series if they don't even make the division series. I think I'm very funny. Um, my final thought is uh, actually tangential to one of the things you said about the Jays in the division, which is this will be the winningest fourth place team in this divisional format ever, whoever it is, whether it be the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, or the Yankees. Really? Yeah. It's just dumb. <laughs> and, th and there's the Orioles. Just... Okay. Yeah, sorry. I, I know I'm stepping on your final thought because I have another one. We talked about this last week, right, where I said, and I referenced how at the beginning of the season, I said 87 wins would be a good season, a successful season. They have 87 wins as we're recording this. It's not <laughs> it, successful yet. No, no, it's not working because of all of this other shenanigans that we are we have been talking about. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that is to say that you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and our guest was Nick Stellini at Stellini Tweets. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 221. And we will talk at you next week, either very happy or very stressed. <laughs> no, if we're talking next week, there's no chances that happy or stressed. <laughs> happy and stressed or very sad. <laughs> All right. 